This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. There was actually a pretty significant rain on snow event in March in Arizona. The Verde River went to over 100,000 CFS. That was a rain on snow event. That was very significant. They had a late season snowpack and had a warm rain event come in, rapid melt, huge flows. This episode comes to you from the Snowtel Network, from 40 years of climatological data, from this year's winter, from hydrologic records, and from the workstations of three river forecasters working in the Western United States for the River Forecast Center within the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is part of the National Weather Service. There are a total of 13 river forecast centers scattered across the United States serving the entire country. You can find a direct link in our episode notes to their main page. This past winter of 2022 and into 2023 was a pleasant surprise for many residents in the West as there was abundant and consistent moisture, mostly in the form of snow. This paired with a long cold winter means the mountain country of the West is loaded with snow and will fill rivers, will augment fleeting reservoir levels, and if you are a river runner, will provide you with big water early and an extended runoff season. I wanted to learn more about the snow, how much there is, what the melt is looking like, how long it might last, and a variety of other questions. To learn about this information, I had one in-person interview and two phone interviews with members of the National River Forecast Center. From Portland, Oregon, I spoke with Steve King at the Northwest River Forecast Center. From Sacramento, California, I spoke with Brett Whiten at the California Nevada River Forecast Center. And from Salt Lake City, I spoke with Ashley Nielsen at the Colorado River Basin Forecast Center. Ashley was coming to my town, Dolores, Colorado, to give a public presentation about the Dolores River flows, and I was able to sit down with Ashley next to the Dolores River to ask about the winter snowpack. For a handful of years, I sat on the spill committee for the Dolores River and had worked with Ashley in that capacity, and I was very excited to be able to ask more in-depth questions about how the River Forecast Center does their work. I spoke with Ashley on May 4th. Please meet Ashley Nielsen. My name is Ashley Nielsen. I'm a senior hydrologist at the Colorado Basin River Forecast Center. Uh, the Colorado Basin River Forecast Center is part of NOAA and the National Weather Service. We provide a variety of water forecasts for both the Colorado River Basin and the Eastern Great Basin. We're located in Salt Lake City, Utah. I currently am the forecaster for the Gunnison River Basin, the Dolores River Basin, San Juan River Basin, and I also uh, forecast Lake Powell inflow. Um, prior to that, I was a forecaster in the Green River Basin. So can you, can you tell me where the Colorado River Basin is and then this eastern basin? Yeah, so the eastern Great Basin encompasses most of Utah, so anything that drains that's in Utah, but that doesn't drain into the Colorado, so it drains into the Great Salt Lake. That's what we consider the Eastern Great Basin and then um, Southern Utah. Um, so like the Severe and then all of those kind of Wasatch Front drainages. Um, and then the Colorado River Basin, major river basin in Western US, um, typically divided into Upper Colorado River Basin and Lower Colorado River Basin. Uh, we typically define the Upper Colorado River Basin as everything above Lake Powell. Um, and the lower Colorado River Basin is everything below Lake Powell. Um, major drainages in the upper Colorado we think of as the Green River Basin, which includes the Green, the Yampa, and the Duchesne. Um, the main stem of the Colorado, Gunnison River, Dolores, and San Juan. And then in the lower Colorado River Basin, main drainages are Verde River, Salt River, Little Colorado, and the Gila River. So that's our entire area that we forecast geographically located in Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. So the question is, it seems to me that there's been a lot of snow this year. So the question is, how much snow fell in the Colorado Basin this winter? And then comparatively, how much snow is there right now? So after many years of drought conditions, we've finally had a, a good winter. Um, snowpack in the Colorado River Basin is, was much above normal um, and depends on the area. Obviously it's a very large basin so there is some variability in terms of snowpack um, but overall the basin was above normal in terms of snowpack. I think it peaked around 150 percent um, above Lake Powell. Some basins had better conditions, some that stand out as having a lot of snowpack are 
the Dolores River Basin and the Yampa River Basin. Parts of the upper Colorado headwaters didn't fare as well, but basin as a whole, a great snowpack year and still a lot of snow to melt um, at this point in the season. So we have seen some low and mid elevation snowpack, but that high elevation snowpack is yet to come. So still a lot of snow sitting there ready to come down. Let's do percentages. How, how much of the, the snowpack is estimated to be remaining in the mountains, in the, in, in the snow phase? That's a tricky number. Uh, I would say 40%. I'm just kind of guessing. Um, like I said, most of the runoff in the, in the Colorado River Basin comes from that high elevation. We haven't really seen that start to melt, so I would say maybe half is still left to come. Um, again, that's kind of just an estimate but still a significant amount of water to come down from that snowpack. You said about 40% of the snow is remaining. Is that, is that a kind of a normal percentage for this time of year, early May? I would say right now we have more than we typically do in early May. We had a very cold and wet March, and so the snowmelt got started a little bit late, later than we typically see. So uh, especially those high elevations, we're probably, we have more than we typically do early May. And particularly at mid-elevations, we definitely have more snow than we normally do in early May. Can you explain, define those segments, that kind of low, mid, and high elevation, what that means? Yeah, so we think about high elevation as above 11,000 feet, uh, mid-elevation 9,500 to 11,000 feet, and then below uh, 9,500 feet is kind of what we consider low elevation. That's how we at the Forecast Center kind of define those elevation bands in the upper Colorado River Basin. Tell me more about your work. Tell me how you and your crew, your colleagues in Salt Lake City, but then also collectively in the other river forecast centers, what are the tools you're using? How how do you understand how much snow is on the ground? Yeah, so the main way we understand how much snow is on the ground is our our main tool is the Snowtel network. The NRCS has Snowtel locations. Um, Those are our main source of data for determining how much snow uh, is on the ground. We have other sets of tools that we use to verify uh, the snowpack. So we use that snowtail network, we use satellite snow covered area, um, and then those are our two main things. So the way we make our forecast and determine the snow is, so we have a hydrologic model. That hydrologic model is calibrated on 40 years of data, 40 years of climatological data and stream flow data. When I say climatological data, I'm talking about precipitation and temperature. So we collect that historical data, the precip and temperature data from those snowtail networks. Then our model is, we have a hydrologic model, it has a snow model, that precip and temperature data gets fed into the snow model, that snow model builds a snowpack from those two climatological components, and then that's how we track the snow throughout the year. And then we use these other tools like satellite images, and then there's a whole bunch of other new snow tools coming out to verify that our model has the snow correct. But the basic building blocks for that modeled snow are precipitation and temperature from the Snowtel network and from other precipitation gauges throughout the basin. Do you trust it? Do you feel like it's an accurate set of tools? Um, it does a reasonably good job. There's always uncertainty um, in it, and we know that. but. Over 40 years, the model is reliable and it produces reliable, skillful forecasts. But you know, every year there's some uncertainty. Depending on the year, there may be more or less uncertainty in that model snow, depending on what kind of year we've had and what kind of conditions. Um, we've had example for this year in a big snow year, um, those snow tail precipitation gauges don't work as well. They get clogged, they get capped because there's so much snow. So the precipitation estimates have more uncertainty so if our input has more uncertainty, then the modeled snow also has more uncertainty because we're transfer- transferring that uncertainty into the model. So there's always uncertainty. Uh, we do use, like I said, a, a set of tools and are always investigating new tools to try to get that modeled snow as close to reality as we possibly can. Today's episode is sponsored by the Denver area Nissan dealers. Right now I'm driving my Nissan Frontier long bed four-door truck with a camper shell. We're on a 6% grade climbing uphill. Three dudes in the truck, bed full of gear, pulling a trailer with three boats stacked, all the gear. And we are just climbing. This Frontier has a nine-speed transmission. Super smooth, uphill shifting, real steady climbing. Roads are slick, truck's holding great. It's just really 
comfortable, safe, strong boating truck. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. This episode is also sponsored by several local businesses at the Dolores River. If you are coming to the Dolores River this season, I personally invite you to these local shops in Cortez and Dolores, Colorado. We have excellent places for you. High Desert Life Outdoors in Cortez is a full gear shop with river gear and a used gear exchange. They have wag bags, shoes, dry bags, straps, all of your last minute needs. See Jeff in Cortez. Dolores Outfitters is a gas station and outdoor rental store in Dolores. They have all sorts of camping gear, stoves and fuel, straps, and backcountry meals. Come see Katie in Dolores. Kelly's Kitchen in Dolores has the best coffee, breakfast burritos, full meals for breakfast and lunch. See Kelly in Dolores. Wild Edge Brewing Collective in Cortez has an extensive tap list with most of the beers brewed in-house All in-house beers are brewed by a fellow river runner. They also serve food on a rotating menu. Go see Tucker in Cortez. Thanks for shopping local and supporting our economy here at the Dolores River. There are links to all of their businesses in the show notes. And tell them the River Radius sent you. And this year's snow, how would you describe it? I think some years snow is very wet and heavy and dense. Like more water in the snow than other years which i think you all call the SWE, the snow water equivalent idea and then some years the snow is kind of dry do you have any generalized characteristics of the snow in the colorado basin this year um i think generally i would say it was probably there's more water in the snowpack this year than we have seen in other years and that really is because of the weather pattern we were in um you know typically in the winter our storm tracks are coming from the north they may be colder with less moisture associated with them Um, This year, the storm track was associated um, further south with more water vapor transport or atmospheric river leftovers. Um, So we had warmer storms, uh, wetter storms. So I think generally the snowpack um, probably has more water in it than uh, we may see in a normal year. Okay, so what what is the atmospheric river? I feel like it's... A, a term I've never heard before, and then in the past few years it's shown up. And this is also actually a listener sent this question in, kind of the same idea. So what does that mean? Is it is it uh, newly discovered, or is it old language that's now in the vernacular? And then can you continue to talk about the weather pattern that we did have in the in the Colorado Basin this year? Yeah, so atmospheric rivers are nothing new. They used to be referred to as the Pineapple Express. What they are is in the atmosphere, they're narrow bands of water vapor transports. I mean, they're, they're exactly what they, they're an atmospheric river. So if you think about a river on the ground, think about that just in the atmosphere, basically. So it's this big, narrow corridor that's transporting moisture typically from the tropics. So that's why it used to be called Pineapple Express when it was transporting water vapor from near Hawaii. These storms would hit the West Coast. So they're very common. They have been common in California. Um, and they actually produce a big chunk of California's annual precipitation. In the Colorado River Basin, they're not, they don't have as much of an impact normally because we're just too far inland to really reap the benefits of them. However, there are in some years, like this year, if that atmospheric pattern sets up favorable for the Colorado River Basin, we can benefit from those. Um, so not new, kind of a different term. Every year there are atmospheric rivers, every year they are different. You can kind of think of them like a river on the ground is changes in size and shape and one river may look this way and another river may look this way and it's the same thing with each of these atmospheric rivers. They change in strength and size, where they're coming from, where that moisture is coming from, what part of the coast or the U.S. they may impact. So those are all factors that can influence the impacts of where those uh, storms end up hitting. So atmospheric river, if you're a hydrologist or a meteorologist, is kind of a love-hate term. <laughs> it, it's good for water supply, but they also cause a lot of trouble in terms of flooding and uh, just kind of crazy weather. Uh, so this year, the Colorado, um, that atmospheric pattern set up very favorable for us to, to be benefited by those storms. And they were just more frequent this year than in previous years. And what's the relationship there with the jet stream? Yeah, so typically the jet is a little bit further north, um, and this year it was a little bit further south. 
uh, which enabled us to benefit from some of those. All this 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 quality of, of snow that you're talking about that it's sounds like it's more wet snow than other years that there's more snow than other years that we still have a lot of snow in the mountains to come down from your perspective as a hydrologist who studies this and, and provides information to so many outfits what does this mean for rivers this year yeah i mean i, I think you're exactly right it means there's the rivers are, are we're going to have an extended period of high flows much higher water than we've seen in the past previous really three to five years. I mean, the last big water year in the Colorado River Basin was in 2019. Um, so I think we'll see flows that are much, much higher than what we've seen and for longer duration than what we've seen over the past few years. So um, given the amount of snow, given that it's early May and we haven't really seen that high elevation snow start to melt yet, um, and we still have mid elevation snow around, I think, and we've already seen high flows in the rivers from um, that significant low elevation snowpack, we're gonna see full rivers, much above average stream flows through the next couple months. So you talked about predicting snow, not really predicting, but monitoring snowpack, using these tools and then using these these models with 40 years of data. And then you're talking about that the rivers will have a certain flow. I also understand that you can, at some level, predict what a river flow will be within a kind of near period of time, like a week. As your, your center, CBRFC, Colorado Basin River Forecast Center has this great tool that we can use as river runners to look at to get this forecast of flows for about a week out. Talk about that, how how you and your crew define, predict river flows in that kind of forward week period and then even through the season. Yeah, so our model has a current set of conditions, so it, it knows the current snowpack, it knows the current soil moisture, and it knows that current stream flow, and that's we interact with the model every single day so that we're building those current conditions correctly throughout the water year. And like I said, I mentioned that earlier, we're inputting precip and temperature every single day, stream flow every day. So every morning, uh, we quality control 500 plus precipitation and temperature gauges in the Colorado River Basin every single morning. And that's so we can input those into the model so that we can get those current conditions correct in the model. With the idea being, if you don't have the current conditions correct, there's no way you can predict the future conditions because you don't know what reality is. And then to predict those future 10 day stream flow forecasts, we take those current conditions and we take seven days of forecasted precipitation and 10 days of forecasted temperatures and we input those into the model and then our model simulates a stream flow for the next 10 days. And is it calibrating itself or with your assistance that, because I've seen the forecast, sometimes, sometimes I question them and sometimes they change over the course. Like even if I'm looking at a forecast and the forecast is maybe three days out as, as the days continue and it's now one day out, it's changed maybe quite a bit. Is it calibrating itself or are you other humans getting in there and forcing adjustments? Yeah, so we calibrate the parameters of the model, which is what's driving how the model is going to simulate the stream flow. That is done, like I said, over that 40 year period and that's done once every 10 years. Then every single day there's a forecaster interacting with that model. So we may make adjustments if it's not, and the way we can tell if the model's performing well or not is how well it's tracking the observed stream flow. So if it's not tracking the observed stream flow well from the day before or the past five days or the past 10 days, we look at the, the past 10 days to see how the model's performing, we may make some adjustments. Um, when I say adjustments, that may be we adjust the modeled snowpack. There may be a change in that observed stream flow data. The other reason that forecasts change into the future are the changes in the weather forecast. So three days out, normally the weather forecast is pretty good. After three days, you may have temperature differences in that future 10-day temperature forecast, and that can change the snowmelt streamflow forecast a lot. So small changes in temperatures can have a big impact on that streamflow forecast. What's it called? I forget the term, and I think this plays in that in the spring, at some point in the mountain country, each night, the mountains are going back below freezing and the, and the snowpack kind of freezes up, slows down again. But there's a point when the temperatures stay above freezing and the melt becomes 
kind of ubiquitous synonymous throughout the snowpack. What is that term concept? Yeah, so that's typically you can refer to it as when the snowpack is ripe or isothermal. And essentially it means that the entire snowpack is above freezing, above 32 degrees. So typically when snowpack's ripe or isothermal, you expect that that melt is not going to slow down if you don't get an overnight refreeze. Because at some point, this is the snowpack just melting on the top where right. the sun's hitting it, yeah. but deep under it's, it's yeah. still frozen. Yeah. So you need that snowpack, the entire snowpack, to be ripe to get snow melt. So, <laughs> and this is this vision of you all in your offices up there with screens and data <laughs> and, and like cubicles and hollering over each other and calling out different streams. Do you all just geek out on what is going on? At, like, Because you're sitting there in an office in Salt Lake City, streaming data from all these remote, really incredible places. Do you just geek out at times about what's really going on where the gauges are? We do, yeah. And we um, we love, what, because you're right, we are, we're in an office, we're in our cubes, and what you just described is pretty realistic, <laughs> actually. Um, and there are days that are very exciting, but we also, love when someone sends us like you know actual pictures or right. real time because the bottom line is we're all hydrologists we're hydrologists for a reason we're yeah. excited about water right. and like so it's sometimes you know you can look at all the data and you're geeking out about the data but it is also interesting to see pictures and have people tell us what's going on you know on the ground so there's yeah there's definitely days that everyone's geeking out and that we're excited about what's going on so do you, you all have your little cubes and your and your screens i'm assuming you have multiples each of you but then yep. do you have like a big picture screen in the front where you can throw things yeah out? so we have like an operations center basically so every day there's an operational hydrologist and they're in charge of like getting the model all the inputs quality controlled and ready um, to make our daily forecasts, and that happens out in an operations center with a whole bunch of screens and a big screen, and um, and then we all have our cubes, and then that we all interact with that operational center at the big screen. There's lots happening if it's flooding, so it's a combination of the two. So, what do you think about what do you think about this spring? You know, there's. I know that weather forecast only goes out so far, and I understand that you're not a weather forecaster, you're not a meteorologist, but do do you have ideas and information and patterns that you can offer that give us a generalized view of how temperatures will rise and not rise over the course of the spring here in the Colorado Basin? You know, right now, there's quite a bit of uncertainty in that weather forecast. Spring is a really tricky time for atmospheric models. They're transitioning from a winter pattern to a spring pattern. And so there's a lot of uncertainty. And right now, I, I can't tell you I have much confidence in the weather a week from now, given what I'm seeing in the forecast models and what my colleagues who are meteorologists are saying in the, from the forecast models. So, you know, I mean, there's lots of different scenarios about how the spring can play out. It does look like we're going to stay a bit cooler, you know, through early next week. So that should slow the melt down, which slowing the melt down just delays it another five to seven days. Um, eventually, climatologically, as we get into late May into early June, typically things warm up. There's a lot of solar radiation at that point. Typically, that's when we see snow melt really begin uh, in earnest and pretty rapidly. So given that we don't have a big cold period for the next after next week, that's probably a likely scenario is that late May, early June, you know, that's typically when things warm up and really get going. Can you describe the rain on snow event? Yeah, um, so rain on snow, it's when you get warm rain on a, a melting snowpack. Uh, and what typically happens is it accelerates that snow melt uh, for a combination of reasons, partially because typically when you get rain on snow, you've got warm temperatures. And then it, you know, that rain can add energy to the snowpack. It can saturate the soils quicker. And so what happens is you end up melting that snow rapidly and you get the amount of rain plus the amount of water in that snowpack all running off at the same time. So it results in typically pretty significant flooding events. Quickly. Quickly. Unexpected. Yes. Dangerous. Can be. No fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are those happening this year? Um, so there was actually a pretty significant rain on snow event in the lower Colorado River Basin in March in Arizona. Um, there was a, the Verde River went to over 100,000 CFS. That was a rain on snow event. That was very significant. They had a late season snowpack um, and had a warm rain event come in. 
um, rapid melt, huge flows. So that was in the lower basin. Um, and let's, let's just clarify. I think that the Verde right now is at 300 mm -hmm. CFS. I mean, it's, it's a, what does that mean? So when a hundred grand comes into a place that is now 300, I mean, I'm thinking about the Verde, I've seen it. Um, I think it can take it, but there probably was flooding as well. There was significant flooding in most of the tributaries and on the main stem of the Verde, um, big reservoir releases uh, through the Salt River, Lower Salt River, which hasn't seen water in you know, a decade, maybe not that much, but a long time. So a lot of water quickly moving through a system that, yes, can handle that much water. It happens. Rain on snow flooding does happen in Arizona. It's happened in the past, but a big event, significant impacts with that event. Yeah. And thinking about what it means to have significant impacts, I think that that really relates to the human the human presence. If, if there's no humans, then the rivers are just doing what they do and engaging with the landscape carving, moving, shifting. But when there's humans there, we feel like there's an impact. Correct. Yeah. I don't know why I always feel like I need to clarify that. Yeah, no, that's true. It's a good point. You're right. Yeah. And I, because at the Weather Service, our job is, you know, to protect human life and property. When exactly when we're talking about impact, we're talking about, you know, impacts to huh. humans and structures and public safety sorts of things. That's part of your mission. Yeah. Interesting. Because we as river runners just thought you were trying to give us the beta. <laughs> well, we're glad we can help out with that, too. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Do you anticipate more rain on snows and other um, types of flooding this spring? Rain on snow is really concerning when you have mid-elevation snowpack and then you get a big rain event. As you melt away those you know, chunks of snow moving up in elevation, they become less of a concern. Uh, but they're still possible. We always are watching the Yampa this time of year. It's a little bit lower elevation basin. They do have a lot of snow this year. Um, so that's an area that we have seen rain on snow events in the past. Um, we're keeping our eye on everywhere if we do see a significant rain event anywhere and we already have full rivers and in the middle of snow melt, um, there will definitely be uh, potential flooding issues. So how does this winter's snowfall snowpack compare to other historic winters? Mm -hmm. So we've been looking at, um, and obviously it depends on where you're at in the basin, what analog year um, is similar. Um, in southwest Colorado, in 2019, 1993 are popping out as kind of similar years. 2017 was kind of similar in terms of peak snowpack. However, 2017 was a warmer, drier spring than we saw this year. Um, so 2017, 2019, and then 93 and 97 in places are popping out. Um, we're not quite to where 2011 was um, in most of these basins. I think that's a year that you know, people who are river runners or familiar or work in this field, that's a year we all remember as being kind of massive. Um, in the Colorado River Basin, widespread, huge snowpack, late snowpack. Um, we're not quite where we were there, but we are definitely in that upper, you know, percentile of big snowpack years um, compared to this year. I feel like this year has evoked a lot of 1983 lookbacks and I think that that's kind of this storied year because it had such an impact on Lake Powell. There's these stories that have been put out about the Emerald Mile speed run. There's stories that I've published about stuff going on above Lake Powell. There's just a lot of story there. So does this does this season in the basin, in the Colorado Basin, does it ring bells of 1983 or is it surpass that? I think it's up there with the years with high snowpack. I think it's difficult to compare just because the snowtail network was much more limited in 1983 than it is now. There's definitely a high snowpack. The thing that happened in 1983 was it did not warm up until late May and then it went from like cold to 90 degrees. And so everything came off all at once um, in one big, um, you know, one big push. It's like one of the big flooding years that people remember where there was lots of, lots of problems. Um, I do think something that's different in terms of flooding and from now until 1983 is the infrastructure is a lot better and improved since 1983. What kind of infrastructure? Um, I guess I'm thinking more like city infrastructure places that, you know, and I, I'm more familiar with Salt Lake because that's, there was a huge flood in 1983 in Salt Lake. Um, so, They've changed the infrastructure after 1983 to handle that. We have better forecasting, forecast. We have better methodologies, better science, more data, 
all of those things are different than what they were in 1983. Now, could we still see it stay cold and get to 90 degrees and have a huge slug of water come off? Yes, that's still, I think, a possibility. However, we have had some warm stretches that have allowed us to melt some of that you know, low and mid-elevation snowpack. Um, we're in 1983. If I have this correct, I think it did stay cold uh, through most of May. You, you said you also are in, did you say you're in charge of or you oversee the inflows into Lake Powell? So I just make the inflow forecast. So the way we, we work at our office is we have, we call them um, focus areas or basin forecasters. And we break this down because it's such a large area um, so that it's too hard for us to know everything about everywhere. And so each forecaster is assigned a specific set of basins and are considered, you know, that's your basin you should be the expert on that area and that's the area you forecast. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm Gunnison, Dolores, San Juan, and then part of my area is also I make that inflow forecast into Lake Powell, which is really just a combination of all of the upstream uh, forecasts. So what's going to happen at Lake Powell this year? Um, the inflow forecast is for 11 million acre feet of water, a much higher Lake Powell forecast than we've seen in many years. So, okay, so when, when you say there's 11 million acre feet that's going to come in forecasted rough idea to come into Powell is that has that already had all of the reservoir holdings like at Blue Mesa at McPhee at, at Navajo at all these big reservoirs that there that water is all excluded so yeah so our water supply forecasts are unregulated water supply forecasts so what that means is that we are removing any sort of regulation so that forecast is assuming that Blue Mesa doesn't exist that Flaming Gorge doesn't exist um, and any sort of significant diversion doesn't exist. So that's the, if there weren't any reservoirs and there weren't, there was not regulation, that's the amount of water okay. that would come into Lake Powell. Okay, so then we should take the 11 million and subtract all these different places. Let's say there's 8 million acre feet coming into Powell. So what I'm trying to ask is, is, is Powell gonna fill? That's a reclamation question. Like I said, we don't, we, we just, we make the inflow forecast. All sorts of, all of the reservoir modeling and management is uh, Bureau of Reclamations. Well, what else should you tell us? What else am I not asking that you think is fun for this conversation? Um, I think it's just exciting to finally have a good water year. Um, it's nice to finally see a good snowpack. Um, I think that even though we've had, we have a significant snowpack and have had a good water year, I also think that doesn't mean we should uh, forget about the current conditions we had before this year. One big snowpack year is not gonna fix the overall drought conditions uh, of the Colorado River Basin. So um, I think it's great news. It's optimistic that we we're seeing a good year, but it's not gonna, we need more than one year to really get us out of, out of the deficit that we've been in for the past, you know, 20 years. All right. Ashley Nielsen, thanks for your time. You bet. Here's a little more information about Lake Powell. Lake Powell holds about 24 million acre-feet at full capacity, and currently it is at about 25% of full, just shy of 6 million acre-feet. All the accumulated snow in the Colorado Basin, as you heard from Ashley, is at about 11 million acre-feet. A few million acre-feet will not reach Lake Powell as they are extracted from the river system into reservoirs and other water infrastructure systems upstream of Powell. From this data and from other sources on the web, it looks like Lake Powell will not fill, not even close, this year. And really, that question and answer has so many factors and so many different outcomes that it's hard to really capture it in this quick little update. There will be more on that topic in later episodes. This episode is sponsored by the Denver area Nissan dealers. Right now, I'm driving my Nissan Frontier long bed, four-door full cab with a camper shell up and out of the Salt River Canyon in Arizona on top of the Mogollon Rim. Got three dudes in the truck. We got a truck bed full of our gear. We're pulling a trailer with three boats and we are cruising uphill. This thing is so solid and so steady with its nine gears. Great transmission, great shifting, really steady. We're on slippery roads. Climbing uphill with traffic, lots of load, super safe, super strong, really comfortable. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com.
This episode is also sponsored by several local businesses at the Dolores River. If you are coming to the Dolores River this season, I personally invite you to these local shops in Cortez and Dolores, Colorado. We have excellent places for you. Dolores Food Market in Dolores is a full grocery store with a fresh deli and a produce cooler, snacks, sandwiches, ice cubes, and blocks of ice. Come see Linnea in Dolores. The Dolores River Brewery in Dolores, also known as The Pub, is home of wood-fired pizzas and a variety of food options with a full tap of beers brewed in-house. They have perfect outdoor seating. Come see Mark in Dolores. Montezuma Mexican Restaurant in Dolores is located right on the Dolores River with the best outdoor riverside seating. Their street tacos are great and they have a full bar. Come see Juan in Dolores. Thanks for shopping local and supporting our economy here at the Dolores River. There are links to all of their businesses in the show notes and tell them the River Radius sent you. Our next expert on winter snowpack is Brett Whiten. Brett works out of Sacramento, California for the California Nevada River Forecast Center. I spoke with Brett on May 5th. Please welcome Brett Whiten. My name is Brett Whiten. I work for the California Nevada River Forecast Center. Live here in the Sacramento area, and that's also where my office is in the Sacramento area. The California Nevada Rural Forecast Center covers a much larger area than that. We forecast, stream flow forecast for pretty much all of California, some of southern Oregon, and into Nevada as well. My main job is deal with stream flow forecasting both in the short term and the long term. So that really means short term flood forecasting, and then also the long term is longer range seasonal runoff forecast, which in California, mainly April, July runoff volumes, that's when the snow melt occurs. And so we do long-range volumetric runoff forecast for a lot of the main reservoirs in California and Nevada. Well, some in Nevada, but mainly California. How far into Nevada does your kind of your purview go? Yeah, it's pretty big footprint of Nevada. In terms of the locations that we forecast for, it's mainly the Humboldt River, which is sort of in northern Nevada. And then some of the other areas in Nevada, the western part of Nevada, Carson City, Reno area. So, you know, some of those rivers actually start in California and they flow east on the east side of the Sierra. There'll be the Truckee system, the Carson River, and the Walker River. So they, they all have headwaters in California, but flow into Nevada. Those are the main river systems in Nevada that we um, forecast for. I'm calling you because this is a river podcast and we like to talk about rivers and understand what's happening with rivers. In California, just seemed to have a tremendous amount of snow. How much snow was there? What was the snow like? Was it wet snow, dry snow? Uh, and then kind of the variations across the state, which is an enormous range. California is a huge place. Yeah, what do you, what do you know about all that? Yes, it was a tremendous snow year for the most part throughout California. And it really, in terms of like the the severity or so the, the rarity of it, it really was um, a little different from north to south. So like the northern California, northern Sierra was, you know, definitely above average. The snowpack right now is roughly 220% of average for this time of year in the northern sort of Sierra. And as we work our way south, the central Sierra is about 260% of normal. And then down in the southern Sierra, which includes Tulare Lake, that region is really about 350% of normal. The Southern Sierra really, in terms of um, snowpack, was really the, the largest area in terms of percent of normal. It actually is a record snowpack down there. April 1st in the Southern Sierra was definitely, you know, max ever. We had a pretty dry April and temperatures were a little bit above normal. So snowpack has come down some. And right now we're, we're tied for the max year before that, which was 1983 in the Southern Sierra. So we're about right, right about the same now, but still a tremendous amount of snow down there. And then on the east eastern Sierra, which I talked about, the Carson, the Walker, it's a really big snowpack here. There, it's record snowpack on that side as well, and that are also around 350 percent of, of average. So these images that that I've seen, you know, like a lot of stuff in Tahoe and other kind of higher mountain communities, where houses that appear to be two and three stories, they also appear to be buried. That's legitimate. Those are real images that are accurately demonstrating how much snow was there. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot for sure. And, you know, I 
personally, it was up in Tahoe, gosh, when was that, over uh, early April, and I saw a house that, you know, roof was completely caved in because of the snow load that had, had been on it over the over the winter, so, yeah, there's there's a ton of snow up there, but like I said, it's, in terms of, you know, percent of normal, it, it's, it gets even more extreme as you work your way south from Tahoe down to the southern Sierra, that's where we have really max maximum amount of snow on record down there. What are your thoughts on on why there was so much snow this year in the California mountains? Well, you know, obviously we got hit by a lot of atmospheric rivers. Our precipitation in general was above average. Just a lot of the systems that hit us were just colder than average, you know, so we ended up building a lot of snowpack because all these systems were, were fairly cold. Going into the winter, last, last fall, going into the, the winter, uh, what was the yeah. condition characteristic of the soil moisture throughout the Sierra? Was it was it? I'm assuming it was very dry. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, we were coming out of a pretty you know dry spell, three year dry spell. Um, so things are pretty dry. We did have a, I would say, more active than usual monsoon season in the summer, and so some of the higher elevation, especially in the central Sierra, got above average rain in the, in the summer that probably had a little bit of an impact, but in general, I would say, yeah, definitely drier than normal. Um, just coming out of, you know, multi-year dry period. Uh, and then of course the systems that, that hit, um, us, we didn't really even have any, um, rain in October, November. We were below normal for those months, but when December hit, um, we really started, you know, getting a lot of precipitation, especially in later December, but those first storms that hit us, were cold. And so we, we ended up getting, you know, building that snowpack on, on dry soils in the very upper elevations of the Sierra. So, um, so that does have some factor in terms of runoff efficiency this, this spring, you know, we, we've got a big snowpack on dry soils. Um, well, they're not really as dry anymore because, you know, melt processes have happened, but that does impact the overall runoff efficiency for the snowmelt season, but not, in a tremendous amount, we're still going to see well above record runoff volumes for everywhere in the Sierra. So the Southern Sierra, we're going to see max April, July runoff volumes for most of those watersheds down there, even though we had sort of dry conditions starting off the year. So I saw, you know, I saw in the news a few, I would say almost a month, maybe over a month ago, that the Kern River was flooding pretty hard. You know, which I find, you know, there's two things I feel like I, I found it to be incredibly fascinating and exciting to watch rivers just be huge, huge beast of water. And then there's also the impact. There's a lot of homes that were flooded. And um, I think people, I think some people lost their lives even, which is the, is the you know, the, the not fun, sad side of the whole, of the whole situation. What else are you seeing? What, what, what? There's been some flooding there. Can you talk about other flooding that's happening, other runoff situations that are starting to kind of come come off the mountains? In terms of pure snowmelt that we forecast for some of the larger rivers in the Sierra that are really above any sort of main regulation by reservoirs would be the Merced River going through Yosemite National Park. That area is always prone to flooding in high snowpack years. They'll hit flood stage, you know, at some point um, this spring. They haven't yet. We had a little bit of a warm-up in April. They kind of got things going a little bit. Um, but then we, we're in a real cool pattern right now, so that's really slowed down the melt. But once we get into, it looks like sort of mid-May, we're going to get in a warm-up. So we'll probably start seeing snow out kick up again in, in the second half of May and into June and don't know exactly when. It all depends on that meteorology and, and how that plays out. But we're going to be seeing flooding most likely sometime in late May, early June on the Merced River. But then also the east side we talked about, we have record snowpack over there on the east side of the Sierra. And so that Carson and Walker Rivers, they're going to be prone to flooding as well. I and mean, they have record snowpack over there. And so some point during the snowmelt uh, season, we're going to see most likely flooding on those two rivers as well. So those are the probably main concerns main rivers of flooding so i have this random question <laughs> that i think i might i'm curious to ask you i, I have heard before and i never I, I have not taken the time to build an episode on this and i want to sometime do 
do the rivers in Nevada leave the state or do they does the water just stay in the state of Nevada and not reach the ocean? Yeah, I mean pretty much well all the rivers we forecast for they don't they don't leave the state of Nevada. The Humboldt River goes into, you know, it's called the Humboldt Sink. Carson River goes into an area called the Carson Sink. And then the Walker River goes into Walker Lake, uh, an inland lake. So they do not reach the ocean. So they just go into these sinks, make these lakes if they do, and and the water just kind of sinks into the ground or evaporates, gets used by humans. But that's kind of the game there. That's the story. Yeah, that's kind of the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I love well, that. <laughs> the Trekker River is another one that flows into Nevada and then ends up in Pyramid Lake. But yeah, they're all inland lakes that they end up at uh-huh. or sinks. So and another another question, you know, so Nevada is full of, you know, it's the Basin Range and it has these these Sky Island mountain ranges that are just fascinating to see and they're disconnected from the other, other mountain ranges. Did those mountain ranges, those Sky Island mountain ranges out there did they all get significant snow at elevation also? Yeah, they did. I mean, these kind of these cold systems that hit California, you know, also hit Nevada. So there was above normal, not to the extremity that we saw in this year, but there was de- there's definitely above normal snowpack in Nevada, like the Humboldt uh, system that's kind of the rubies, you know, that, that area uh, that drains into the Humboldt River. In terms of overall snowpack, when we're at the peak, it's about 130% of, of average so not quite as extreme as california but definitely above normal and and we're and we're seeing some i would say minor flooding along the humboldt just due to snow melt already and that'll that'll probably be going on through probably at least the end of the month and and when you dis, when you use the term flooding does that speak to the river mostly where there's human habitation near the river or do you also speak where there's not human habitation and the river is out of its banks. Yeah, it's usually associated with, um, you know, infrastructure, roads, or low-lying areas that might affect ranches or, or, or buildings and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's that, that's really what these flood um, impacts are tied to. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I'm curious about kind of like the the more human side of, of you as a hydrologist, as the, as the forecast center, your colleagues in the office there, I know you, you all pound out a lot of data and you're looking at a lot of gauges and graphs and interpreting information. I'm curious. I mean, is this a fun year for you? Do you get excited? But in general, yeah, I mean, it was a fun year, but very stressful at times and really kind of just wore me out. I mean, I think, we had really active um, late December and January um, that was just, you know, when we get into that type of situation, we've got atmospheric river after atmospheric river, we we're running 24 seven. We, you know, we, we issue forecasts four times a day around the clock. And so that kind of spreads our staff thin. So um, we were definitely worn out. We had a bit of a break in February and then March came around and that was another round of really intense forecasting. So, I mean, it's, it's fun, but at the same time, it can be tiring. And I think it, by the end of uh, March, everyone was, was ready for it to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've got this large snowpack. So in terms of flood forecasting, we're, we're still going to be pretty involved, you know, with that. And it's going to be an active melt season. Um, but it doesn't have the same stresses of 24-7, 24-7 operations when you kind of, you know, you're in the middle of a, an atmospheric river hitting and uh, we're around the clock forecasting. So. Anything else you think we should be talking about like that you think would be valuable for the conversation listeners to to be thinking about hearing about yeah i mean i i I think it is pretty amazing you know California it's been a wild ride over the last uh maybe ten years or so. We had two of the driest three year periods of record in the central valley, especially in the southern Sierra. And then all of a sudden this year we get a record snowpacks and a lot of flooding. It's been a it's been a wild ride over the last ten years. Well both a lot of extremes, both on the dry side and the and the wet side. Brett, that's what I have. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today and and help us understand what's going on out there. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thank you. You bet. See you. All right. Bye. Bye. Up next is Steve King from the Northwest River Forecast Center in Portland, Oregon. I spoke with Steve on May fifth. Please welcome Steve King. My name is Steve King, 
and I work uh, for the National Weather Service, and my office is Northwest River Forecast Center, located in Portland, Oregon. And uh, our, our domain, our forecast domain, is the uh, Pacific Northwest to include the Columbia River Basin, which is about 80% of our spatial domain, and, and also the, the drainages west of the Cascades in Oregon and Washington. So essentially the states of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Western Montana, and pieces of uh, Western Wyoming, Northern Nevada, and British Columbia as well. Yeah, I saw that on your map. So your your reach goes it goes into Canada. I mean, really, you're just following the river basin. It sure does. And, uh, and interestingly, I think I think Canada might be about 15% of our total area, but the volume of water, which comes from the enormous snowpack in the Canadian Rockies, it contributes roughly a third of the flow in the Columbia River. Uh, so it's it's a very big component and an important component to our overall you know system water supply. Yeah, it's interesting. You have I, I was looking at your at your basin map, and it is it's extensive. And then you are in that part of the West that is. I think typically beyond typically like like just categorically more wet than definitely the southern the southern and more western parts yeah there is actually quite a variation here more than you might expect we have you know maybe 200 inches of rainfall a year and say the olympics where we you know we have rainforests up there and the interior of our basin is is desert much like you know the rest of the west to right. the south of us so it's quite a range and and then your your basin your region of your your forecast center does include the Olympic Peninsula. It, it, it does. I, I should, you know, we often refer to uh, our geography as west of the Cascades and east of the Cascades. So <laughs> west of the Cascades, there's a tremendous amount of rain, and that would include the Olympics and the coastal basins, the Willamette, the Skagit. You know, there's just there's a lot of very large rivers that receive enormous amounts of rainfall and snow uh, during the winter. Th- those regimes typically. Uh, present flooding problems in the winter months and keep us very busy, you know, from maybe November through March. And then east of the Cascades, that's largely what we think of as the Columbia River Basin, although, of course, the Columbia extends you know, all the way to the, uh, to the Pacific Ocean. And uh, we certainly can have winter uh, rain, rain on snow uh, issues in those east side basins, but typically, you know, the, the more typical runoff event would be a spring melt event, spring, spring flooding perhaps due to snow melt. And, and again, much of that snow is coming, well, all the snow is coming from the mountains, but much of it is coming from the Rockies. So tell us about the snowpack, the snowfall, the winter that, that just just happened that's kind of closing out now across your region. You know, the kind of how much snow you had, and I understand it's going to vary widely across that basin, that, that region. Um, but but the, the, the various amounts of snow and then the, the quality of that snow, the type of snow, is it a, a wet snow, a dry snow? Those types of details, please. There's a lot of interesting things going on apart from the snow. You know, we, we were very, very dry last year. So our antecedent conditions, soil moisture and, and stream flow was very low at the beginning of the water year, which, which is October 1st. And it really stayed low throughout. We, we didn't have the best precipitation year. We were very dry in the northern basins, maybe near average in some of the southern basins. So those are two aspects of the cycle that were leading uh, to sort of this perception of dryness. Um, But then it was very, very cold throughout the winter. So what precipitation did fall uh, throughout the basin generally uh, was accumulated as snowpack with very little runoff and very little contribution to the soil moisture over the the course of the winter. And that just started to build. (laughs) You know, it builds in storms. It's the same, uh, the storms that, that much of the country is aware that, you know, the California and uh, the interior basins were hit, you know, right with atmospheric river after atmospheric river, which delivered snowpack into the, you know, the Sierras and other inland mountains that often has a southwesterly fetch, uh, which tends to clip the southeast portion of our domain. So southern Idaho, uh, western Wyoming, eastern Oregon to an extent. And that's where we began to see the pack build and, and build and build and really it continued to build through late April, I guess. Now, now, I will say that in our northern latitudes, we're still building. You know, we're, we're well, maybe not at the moment, but in a typical year, uh, it is not unusual to build pack well past April 1st into May or, or even later, you know, in Canada, for instance, or the very highest elevations in uh, western Wyoming. But this year, we were cold right up till the end of April. 
with with a very large pack at that point in record in places actually uh, along the the southern rim of our domain um it varies from place to place but i would i would say that eastern oregon those mountains and most of southern idaho had really well above normal to to record snowpack and i'm using that word loosely i'm really talking about snow water equivalent the amount of water that's held in the pack the densities are very high right now that's the ratio of the depth of the snow to the amount of liquid that it's holding at any given time and and usually when that density gets to a certain level maybe 40 percent in our area that's when runoff starts to occur and in fact that's what's happening now so so we had some really nice warm days at the end of april last week and uh that's set things in motion so the you know the, the melt season is is happening now it has been for a little while and it's expected to continue to build uh we are already seeing uh, high water and floods at uh, many locations east of the cascades right now and, and actually this is a bit of an oddity but the highest locations at the moment are way down in the in the southeast corner uh near pocatello and the portneuf river and then also uh, at the other end of the basin coming out of canada up on the kettle it's very high right now and uh, I, I find that that's sort of interesting that there's not really any great connection between those two uh, locations and that's not abnormal I, I would say that our melt season has kicked off later than normal normally at the lower elevations and in the southern basins we might start to see melt as early as late march that didn't happen this year because we were very cold so everything sort of hit us all at once again really this it's just this last week uh where we're just uh, seeing snow peel off very quickly and run off uh, very efficiently you know filling the rivers I, I don't think much is going to slow that down now there's still a lot of season to come and a few variables at play namely how how warm are we going to be and how much rain are we are we going to receive we, we we can still see um quite a bit of significant precipitation in the spring in the northwest uh, it's not uncommon to have uh, rain, you know, cause problems in the lower snake. And as well as up in Montana, we, we can get Gulf uh, moisture that's wrapping around in the interior of the country as they begin to heat up. So we'll just have to watch those things. But I, I don't see much slowing down the melt at this point. I think it's pretty much in motion and certainly could be in motion until late June or early July at higher elevations. Have you seen rain on snow yet this year? Are you anticipating rain on snow in the near future? You know, that's a that's a great question. I, I think there's probably several different ways to think about rain on snow, and I, I won't proclaim to be an expert in the many different ways that that could be perceived. Typically, I, I tend to think of that as a as a sort of a west of the Cascades event or a place that, you know, there's certain elevation bands which are kind of transient where you may have rain or you may have snow. And it's not uncommon to have the buildup of snow at that mid elevation, which can be followed by, you know, a warm atmospheric river to, to sort of wash it all away. That's kind of a classic rain on snow, which causes a, a lot of flood problems. It can be west of the Cascades. It certainly can be at lower elevations on the east side as well. At this point, I, I would think that a lot of the remaining snowpack is, is at higher elevations. So there's a lot of exposed area that is not covered by, by snow. And, and if there was, you know, appreciable precip on, on those unexposed areas, you, you would have complications. Rivers are already very high. You know, there's not a lot of place for water to go at this point. So just, just the presence of rain alone is going to drive rivers up. It's going to drive runoff up. Idaho is a, is a very popular place for river runners to go. There's great rivers. There's great river permits. Typically good snowpack, um, lots of downstream gradient. And then beautiful scenery, you know, all, all these factors. What do you what are your thoughts on how that snowpack will 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 melt out? Are you all anticipating that the that there will be significant flows into later summer for those rivers up there? If you're talking about the southern half of Idaho, there is and has been more snow there than there has been in most years, right? The melt was delayed. But I do think there's signs that it's coming off, clear signs that it's coming off faster. I don't know that that's going to hold, but I, I'd be surprised if there isn't snow melting up there for you know, a considerable period to come. Again, we don't know how much more input there might be. There's a lot of potential for runoff, for sure. Maybe too much. I don't know if, there's, you know, if rivers can be too high for uh, safety or whatever for, for recreational purposes. 
depends on who's running that boat. Some people love yeah. it big. Some people love it small up there. Yeah, I think it just depends right. on the person. And, and obviously, there's a huge range, and you know, it just depends on your particular basin and how high the, you know, the source of the snow is. I mean, it goes, it gets very high there as you go east. So, two questions, and then I think I'll be done. Your your colleagues, Brett and Ashley, use the word uncertainty at length again and again, and, I, and it caught my attention. And then I, I've heard it before in hydrologic meetings, but I only heard you use it once. Do you use that word often at work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. No, and it's it's a big part of what's going on in the weather service right now. Not not just not just with rivers, but with the weather in general. And a bit of history, you know, we, well, the river community actually has been issuing what we call probabilistic forecasts, which are an expression of the uncertainty going back, you know, in some form or fashion back to the 50s, I suppose, or before even. But it's only recently that the science community is sort of recognizing, hey, we've been putting too much emphasis on a single answer. People probably want to know, hey, what's going to happen? What's exactly going to happen? And the fact is, you know, we all know the weather forecasts don't necessarily come true, right? I mean, we all look at weather forecasts and you can only imagine because river forecasts depend on weather forecasts, there's just compounded uncertainty. So definitely we are all trying to get better at expressing the exact amount of skill and do a better job conveying that to the public. It's a challenge for sure. What does a 20% forecast of something mean exactly? Trying to emphasize that that range of numbers is there. There's a worst case, a best case, the most expected case. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. But it's, it's it absolutely as important up here as it is uh, in any river forecast center or weather office throughout the country. Yeah, you bet. It's such a basic word, but used extensively with such important data you know so i'm talking to you talking to your colleagues and um trying to like unhinge a little bit from the scientific data side and understand who you are as people behind the scenes is being a hydrologist has it been has it been a good time (laughs) has it been a good job a good career yeah Yeah, tell me about it great jobs um I started out life uh, with a civil engineering education, but I always uh, think that I had a, a mindset to get into water resources. I probably didn't understand uh, exactly what awaited me when I was in school, but as I began to look around for, for work, I found the weather service and uh, discovered that there's these river forecast centers throughout the country. Weather service as a whole is a great place to be. Uh, the mission is it's about saving lives and property and protection of or enhancing the, the national economy, I should say. And it's just, it's a very easy thing to get behind. If you'll find that the people here are, are really true to the mission, they're very dedicated. And we're a service agency. It's all about providing something. Uh, we provide something that's as objective as possible, science-driven. So it's, it's just really easy to support that. I think everybody has a very singular mindset and dedication. I, I see that, you know, I've been here since 98, been with the Weather, weather Service since 95. And uh, I see it everywhere I go that feels really good. And then, yeah, we, we love rivers, you know, <laughs> we, I, I'm afraid that the river forecast centers were actually, you know, behind computer models. Most of the time we are as much, you know, modelers as we are, uh, you know, river experts, but, uh, we, we all feel really good about rivers and our role and, you know, helping people use them and, and manage them and et cetera. Do you have a favorite river to look at on the computer? Like to look at the modeling of that river? You know, I think it's the opposite. I have memories of difficult forecasts, you know, things that surprised me that, that you know, I don't want to be bit twice. Right? <laughs> and you've probably heard that forecasting is a humbling business and yep. getting back to your notion of uncertainty. <laughs> I have heard so, that. Yeah, there's, I have some, uh, some scars, some rivers that have scarred me over the years. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, one general thing, I, one thing I, I really enjoy is that we, we model rivers that range in size from the Columbia, which is one of the largest in the country, down to some very tiny creeks uh, that are maybe 30 square miles. And we do it with the same technology and, and really dedication to service. So it's that's kind of a neat thing. I think that it all fits together like that. And, and serving a lot of great partners and customers as well. So I, I wouldn't, I'd be you know amiss if I didn't talk about uh, the, 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 just the great interactions that we have with people. We have that opportunity to to try to do things um, that, that are helpful, right? To help, help, help people get their jobs done. Excellent. Well, Steve, that is what I have. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your, busy, your busy spring. I know you guys are moving. 
I appreciate you thinking about us. It has been busy, but it is nice to, to sort of step outside of the normal day to day and, and have a chat with you. So thanks for getting together. Thank you, Steve. You take care. Okay, Sam. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. A cold and deep mountain snowpack size thank you goes out to each of our guests today and to the River Forecast Center. You can find links to each River Forecast Center and all 13 centers and their associated federal agencies in today's show notes. Today's sponsor is the Denver area Nissan dealers and also the Dolores area businesses I spoke of earlier. You can find links to Nissan and to each Dolores business in today's episode notes. Here at the River Radius, our social media manager is Samantha Sice. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. Really intense forecasting. We're hit with atmospheric river after atmospheric river, which delivered snowpack. There's lots happening if it's flooding. Roof is completely caved in because of the snow load. Water's fascinating. We all feel really good about rivers.